Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each podcast, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment agencies. Topics covered include IR35, protecting your recruitment business and the different challenges facing the recruitment industry. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners looking for expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Um, Glad you're able to join us. We have an important topic today, the implementation of new IR35 rules. And I'm joined by Simon Whitehead of HRC Law, an expert in employment law and particularly in the recruitment sector. Uh, Simon, thank you very much for joining us today. I know you've got a lot of experience um, working with the recruitment sector. Could you just outline that for us? Yeah, sure. Well, um, my practice as an employment lawyer um, took a bit of a turn in 2001 and I started to build a practice um, in recruitment. So from 2001, I've been working with recruitment businesses in all different niche sectors, all different sizes and and structures. Um, And we've been through a lot together and I think we will continue to go through a lot together, including IR35. Mm. So, uh, thank you. Simon, um, IR35, um, of course, the new rules came in in the public sector a couple of years back. It did have a a fairly dramatic effect for those of us who were supplying contractors and temporary workers in at the time. And now, of course, we're due to have um, a further implementation in the private sector. Now, um, most recruiters know that those two markets work in very different ways. What challenges can, and differences can you see um, between the implementation of this in the public sector and what might happen in the private? Sure, well I mean I think it's probably important to go back a little bit as well. Um, so um, IR35 is really all about disguised self-employment and from a recruiter's perspective as things stand at the moment, provided that you are supplying through a limited company contractor, um, the issues about status whilst they will touch what you do, um, don't necessarily create liability because if it's all done correctly and it isn't um, in touch with any amount of fraud or any sort of managed service company type arrangements, the reality is that if, if the status of the contractor or the contractor gets their status wrong, it's really the contractor that bears the brunt of that. Um, clearly, over the well, as the number of contracts has, has increased, the number of self-employed contracts has increased, it's an area where the government have, have really sort of focused. And there's some statistic that by 2021, I think it is, if they don't do something, um, the government perceives that the leakage, i.e. the amount of tax that they should have been recovering that they're not recovering, would hit around £1.2 billion. Pounds. So it's obviously a, a key area for them where they want to try and make sure that this leakage that they refer to is ultimately um, stopped and that that um, tax money ends up in the uh, public accounts, as it were, via the tax system. So it's not necessarily going to be um, a change in the legislation, it's just really how the legislation is going to be enforced Mm -hmm. and really it's looking at where the liability sits. So at the moment, um, provided that the recruiter 
as we're supplying a, lim a contractor, a self-employed contractor that's providing their services through a limited company, whilst they will touch on status to a certain degree, the reality is that the liability for getting the decision wrong about whether they were um, an employee or a worker or whether they were self-employed really sits with the limited company and the individual contractor. And that's caused a few issues in certain sectors, but the reality is that recruiters have not been overly um, negatively impacted in respect of that. Going forward, if the public sector is anything to go by, what the government is planning to do is to basically say, well, look where the liability sits in respect of that or where the um, responsibility for determining um, status correctly sits is going to be with um, the person that is nearest to the payroll of that person. So in reality, in most cases, it's going to be the recruiter. In some cases, it could be an umbrella or an intermediary, but in most cases, it's going to be the recruiter. And really, it's then about making a decision um, about what is the true status of the person that you are supplying into your client, the engager. Are they self-employed or are they an employee? And the whole point of IR35 is really to look at disguised employment. And it came from mainly um, the IT sector, mm -hmm. so where you would have companies that would move IT um, managers or IT um, workers into IT consultants. And they would come in and they would be working alongside other people in the, the IT team, um, but ultimately be paying less tax and national insurance. And the idea of IR35 is to look and say, well, actually, if they walk, talk, and sort of quack like a duck, then ultimately they are a duck, they are an employee, and they should be paying tax and national insurance as such. Mm. Um, and that's been forgotten, I think, in the sort of increase in the number of self-employed contractors um, that, that's out there because it is a, a positive choice for lots of people now because it gives selectability. And up until recently and these changes um, means that it's a more um, tax efficient way of supplying services into a company. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what we'll see is, is, is a change. Um, and again, we don't know how that's going to change at the moment. So what the government are planning to do, so we know it's going to come in in April 2020. What the government are planning to do is to consult during the summer of 2019. Mm -hmm. So that will be a key sort of point in time when recruiters and those people affected by these changes will have the ability to put their voice forward. And then we'll see um, the detail coming in in the finance bill ready for April 2020. Mm -hmm. um, so, but we do know that the government's intention is that in, in a long way they will mirror what was happening in the public sector mm -hmm. because they perceive what's happened in the public sector to be a great success. Um, I wouldn't necessarily okay. say that we agree. I'm sure some of our listeners will have very different opinions about that. Okay, so um, to generalise, I think it would be fair to say that with the huge variety of assignments and um, clients that recruiters in the private sector work with, there are going to be more shades of grey around yeah, um, tax and employment status than you can see in the public sector. So uh, a number of business owners will be saying, well, what is it exactly that I'm going to have to check and document with my workers and my clients before I can safely put someone out. Mm. And I think there lies the root of the problem. And for me, for a long time, what I've been saying around all of this is that really um, the government needs to tackle the definition of what self-employment is. So we've, we've got to this situation where it's very unsatisfactory if we have 
a different definition of self-employment for tax purposes to self-employment for employment law purposes. And that causes massive confusion all the time to the point where some solutions that are put out there by umbrella companies in the past have gone completely down the tax path of a definition of employment and completely forgotten about the definition of employment from an employment law perspective. And that's sort of what you're seeing with the recent cases around sort of Deliveroo and Uber, um, those sort of very gig economy platform-based um, engagement models, um, where you know being highly critical potentially of, of what they've done, you'd say, well, it works from a tax perspective, but they've they've missed the point as far as the employment law is concerned, and sort of missed the idea that in the UK we sort of have three different status. You've got self-employment, employment, and then in the middle worker status. Um, and I think that has been forgotten about, and it, the, the reason it's been forgotten about is because people have concentrated on the definition of, for, from employment for tax and forgotten about definition of employment for employment law purposes. Now, the government have recognised this, um, and in the good work plan that we referred to in the last podcast, that's one of the things that have been suggested in there, is that they will look at um, the definition of status and align the definition from a tax and an employment law perspective. I think that is to be, um, that's a really good positive step forward. Obviously the devil's in the detail and it depends what that definition looks like, but move into a situation where we only have one definition to deal with will make it, should make it easier for recruiters and recruitment consultants considering this thorny issue. Uh, it'll at least give them a bit more cogent and individual sort of ability to look at something rather than have to think of two sets of legislation. Mm. Which and often contradict each other, don't absolutely, they? Absolutely, yeah. And you know, the other thing is that the government have said around IR35 and the Good Work Plan is that they are committed to increasing um, the user-friendliness of their CEST tool. So for a long time you've been able to go on HMRC's website and to put in facts relating to a specific supplier, a specific assignment and it will give you a guidance as to um, whether someone is employed or self-employed. Um, when the rules changed um, around travel and subsistence and um, IR35, they increased or, or beefed it up, if you like, that tool, so that ultimately if you go in there and the proviso is you answer the questions accurately and correctly, you are able to rely on the results, if you like, if that tool says, you are self-employed for the purposes of tax, then you can put that in your file and say, well, look, I've done the test and here it is. Now, the reality is in practice is that it's a very hard tool to use because the test for employment as it exists at the moment or self-employment is very um, subjective and it very much depends on the circumstances. And you know, if you think about the volume potentially of contractors and the need to get um, contractors out on assignment, it can be very difficult to gather all the information, input the information, and get an accurate response out of that online tool. Oh. And that's the best we've got at the moment. So again, I reserve judgment because I don't think it's gonna be that easy to create an online tool that is all singing or dancing and makes life easier for the recruiter. But at the same time, if they're gonna change the definition of employment and self-employment, that to me is the key. And if they do that correctly, then hopefully the online tool may be much better than it is at the moment and the clarity and certainty that, that recruiters can move forward with is going to be significantly increased. Right, so what you're saying then is as part of the consultation a good outcome would be to clarify those definitions first yeah. and then the CES tool would be more effective. Yeah, um, do you know, it's up to them really which way around they do it but for me the definition 
has to be simplified and made easier. And if that is the case, and the only downside with that, of course, is that they oversimplify it, which means that they achieve an objective by getting everyone on payroll mm. by virtually making it a bit like America, in that, that, that you know it's virtually impossible to, to, to manipulate status. You are an employee until such time as you can establish that you are self-employed. Right. Um, and that would be the only risk with, with making that definition, definition easier to use, is that the default position may be um, that they, the way they make it easier is just to make it more difficult to classify people as being self-employed. Yeah, which would probably not be a great outcome for many recruiters. No, absolutely not. Okay, now just on this topic of definitions, the new rules are intended to apply only to large, in mm-hmm. quote, quotation marks, companies. How do, you, how do we think that's going to be interpreted? We understand that their intention again, subject to the consultation, what comes in the final bill. But certainly the HMRC or the government stated intention is that they'll use um, the definition that's within companies' legislation, the corporate governance uh, rules. So um, there are three criteria um, that you have turnover in excess of 10, I think it's 10.2 million, that you have more than 50 employees, um, or that your balance sheet or assets are more than 5 million, I think it's 5.1 million. And to be a large company, you've got to have two out of those three. Um, and you know that means that the smallest companies are going to be exempt. So it will lead to a two-tier system. The reality is though, if I think about most of my clients and their clients, um, I think most people that are engaging regularly with contractors are likely to fall into um, the big company criteria and therefore it will be relevant. And again, it adds a level of admin, if you like, or check-in from a recruitment company's perspective because they're going to have to verify if a client comes along, A, you're going to have to ask the questions around size and how big you are and and where do you fit. Um, And then you're probably going to have to do some verification of that to make sure that you're satisfied that actually you are supplying on the correct basis moving forward. And I can think of some areas where perhaps it will be exempt. So, um, for instance got a client that supplies locum vets and locum veterinary nurses well it's likely that the independents will fall within the small company you know some of the larger groups will probably fall into the large company so again it just adds a a layer of complexity from a recruiter's perspective because they're going to have to make a decision or try to explain to a a contractor or locum in that case why they're going to be off payroll working for one vet's practice and why they're going to be on payroll working for another vet's practice. Um, So I think there's going to be a lot of education needed to make the recruiter's job easier both in respect of candidate contractor side of things and with an engager client side of things as well. So um, just to be clear for for business owners, recruitment business owners, that 50 headcount, one of the three criteria you mentioned, that's likely then to be a, a 50 people on your payroll, not just 50 recruitment consultants, therefore, yeah. but could include any temporary workers that you've got out. Yeah, and, and, and it's likely to be, um, it's going to be the engager client that will be the test. So the size of the recruitment business won't matter unless they're engaging contractors. Um, it will be the client that they're supplying the contractors into. That will be the large company. So really, if you think about it, my understanding of what they're trying to say around all of this, and again, the devil will be in the detail, and we'll see what comes out over the summer, but my understanding of the creation of this sort of two-tier approach is to say, well, look, um, large 
companies that are engaging contractors have the uh, resources to make decision around status and we don't want to put an extra burden on small companies that are trying to engage a contractor who may not have that resource. Mm. I think the reality will be initially that even the large companies, it's going to be rare to find them having the um, skilled resource to be able to make a decision, an accurate decision in respect of status. And you know, you only need to look at what happened in the public sector. Um, and you know, that one of the downsides with the public sector and the way that that worked is obviously there was, um, say, a director of, of procurement who would make a decision and say, everyone is on payroll mm. and that cascades all the way down. And in some respects, that was good because it caused, it, it, it created certainty and it meant that all recruiters supplying contractors in were doing it on the same basis. Mm. The problem that it created was that the contractors said, hang on a minute, I don't agree with, with the, de the decision on my status on this particular assignment. I think I am self-employed and therefore I should be off payroll. And what that's led to are a number of claims from contractors against recruiters saying that actually you've made some unlawful deductions from my wages. Because mm. of course the re requirement of all these, these changes is that if you decide that someone actually is an employee for the purposes of, of IR35, then you have to deduct tax and national insurance at source and account direct to HMRC as you would do um, someone who you definitely said was an employee or a worker. And the contractors have turned around and said, well, actually, I think we've got the decision wrong. Actually, I think I was and I am self-employed and therefore should have been paid off payroll. So those deductions that you're making at source and paying to HMRC, actually, they're unlawful and I want them back. And those claims are now making their way through the employment tribunals where contractors are pursuing the recruiters to basically say, I want my money back. And um, what have been the success rate of contractors like in that position? We've not really seen them come to fruition yet. Um, the difficulty is, and sort of out of my area of expertise, is it's more sort of a tax. But my understanding from the tax experts that we work with is that, bizarrely, if you think it through the way that it would normally work out, if, if um, I pay the correct, the incorrect amount of tax, um, people of a certain level, and certainly contractors, will end up doing a self-assessment tax return at some point. So the ability would be if you've got an employment tribunal ruling that said actually no, you were self-employed mm. as opposed to um, an employee or worker for purposes of, of IR35 and therefore you've paid the incorrect tax, you would expect there to be an adjustment. But apparently according to the tax experts that adjustment doesn't exist as the rules stand at the moment. So um, the likelihood is that the recruiters are going to have to fight it because, um, you know, they're not just going to be paying out the monies that they've deducted and paid over to HMRC because it's a double, double whammy, if you like, a double mm. hit. Um, so, you know, they're likely to have to fight them. And it will, I, you know, I would suggest it's probably going to be difficult that they will be able to recover those monies from, you know, other public sector engager that made the decision. Because that's actually where the decision was. If the decision was wrong, mm. then it's not the recruiter that's made the decision in the public sector on whole. It's been the public sector. Now that has changed because there was an uproar, A, because lots of contractors just walked away from the NHS or from the public sector and said, well, I'll go to the private sector, but also because of this issue that was coming up. So they've, the public sector have watered down their approach now and have taken it much more on a case-by-case -case basis. But I do think that will be the big difference between the public sector and the private sector. Mm -hmm. And there are always um, opportunities as well as risks. 
and I do think a good recruitment business that is on top of this, is on top of status, what it means and how it's going to impact, um, has an opportunity to really build a close partnership relationship with their engaged client because ultimately the recruiter is going to expect to have knowledge about status mm. and how they should be treated. From I think this is a, a really important point, isn't it? Um, so from time to time I talk to uh, recruitment business owners and they take the attitude that they'll, they'll accept whatever a client or indeed a worker tells mm. them. So um, very often when a, a new worker registers, they're saying they're asking them what their status is, mm. and um, they're, they're clearly not aware that actually it's the nature of the work and, and so forth that that they need to be aware of. So there's a big point there, isn't there, about um, training and processes Absolutely. inside every recruitment business, so that a recruitment business owner can trust that his staff, his her staff, are mm. actually making correct decisions that's a quite a responsibility no absolutely and you know as someone that is regularly instructed to look at um, status and to go through the test and to apply it to a specific group of contractors or, or um, workers um, it's hard and it's hard because there's no right or wrong answer um, you've got to use your experience you've got to use your skill to go through it and try and work out in the round where they fit and so the way that the test tends to work is that the, there are various things that are weighted with different points so different things will have different importance in, in where they sit um, in the status um, position and to a certain degree the sort of online tool helps and I'm sure someone out there who's better from a technology perspective for me will be able to do something that, that does a lot better but certainly the way the definition works at the moment it's going to be really, really hard. And that's been proved by the upgraded, better tool that HMRC have got on their website, but it's still not great. It's still clunky, hard to use, and it's still um, dependent on you understanding and putting the correct information in. And, you know, I have seen situations where, understandably, um, consultants have felt under pressure for one reason or another and have not necessarily understood the importance of the information that they're submitting to that online tool mm. and have created a situation where they've got the answer that they wanted. Mm. And, you know, as things stand at the moment, then not great, but at the same time, liability from the recruitment business's perspective is relatively minimal. Um, you're potentially going to have an aggrieved contractor, but generally it would be the contractor that's pushing to be self-employed. Um, I think moving forward, those liabilities can look a can and could look a lot, a lot more chunky mm. and a lot more frightening. And process and training is going to be key to being able to trust from business owners' perspective that your team are not exposing you to significant liabilities um, because they're going to be under pressure from all sides um, to, to make sure that it's the most cost-efficient way of supplying that particular person into and engage a client. Um, and you know each business is going to have to make a decision about where their line is really. Mm, okay, so just to summarise some key points, this has been really interesting actually. Number one, I think that you mentioned the consultation process that will take place in 2019, um, and uh, I would urge recruitment business owners to take part in that. There are lots of routes by which they can do it, Absolutely. so to look out for invitations to do that, because that's how government receives feedback on these um 
proposals. Um, Simon, you referred to our earlier podcast on the government response to the Taylor report. So mm-hmm. if there are any listeners who haven't heard that, I would strongly recommend that you listen to that in conjunction with this. Um, and a revelation for me is that the definition of large companies is actually going to be with the end user client mm. rather than the agency involved. Um, finally, that shift of liability here is why no one can afford to ignore this. Yeah, uh, and you know, it, it, it's really about analysing or auditing your business to see is this going to be a problem and that's going to be pretty easy to know one way or the other. But also then it's about educating yourselves. Um, these things are going to change. This is our understanding at this moment in time. You know, our understanding may be completely different come October to 2019 because things may progress um, and it's important to keep up to date and to keep dipping into it because your clients definitely are going to be asking you once this starts to sort of gather some some pace if they're using contractors they're going to want to know what your solution is and what you can do to also minimize the risk to them um, of the services that you're providing. Mm, thank you and just going on um, the basis of GDPR implementation um, I saw a lot of people who went to one seminar really early on in that process <laughs> made their decision and conclusion and didn't bother to look again and obviously the reality changed a lot didn't yeah. it uh, and you know especially with you know it's probably quite a similar it was a good uh, a good comparison to make because you know as, as we sit here today we haven't got the finance bill and until we get the finance bill which is unlikely to land until the early part of 2020 um we're not going to know 100 percent sure how this is going to be implemented and what it's going to look like we can take a temperature check as things progress and we can uh, look at how things are progressing and the feedback. So recently I was talking to one of the tax experts we work with and she'd been um, to a session with um, high level civil servants in HMRC in respect of what they're planning to do. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just plans. And so, you know, it's, it's important to keep your toe in the water, but not to get too bogged down at an early stage. Okay. Simon, thank you very much indeed for your very valuable input. Um, This has been the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. And make sure you subscribe if you haven't done so already. Thank you all for listening and I hope you'll be able to join us next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you've enjoyed our podcast, make sure you subscribe to get notifications of when the next one is available. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please send an email to alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. You can also follow Recruitment Leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next time for another episode of Recruitment Leadership Podcast.